Welcome to the Film Gods podcast, everyone. This episode, I want to let you know about a great man who is feeding our doctors and nurses. Philip Juma, head chef and founder of Juma Kitchen, didn't want to put his incredible skills of making delicious food, and I've tasted it, it's amazing, to waste during lockdown. So when Borough Market closed its doors, he took it upon himself to feed our NHS staff. He's single-handedly making hundreds of meals for them every week. And if you want to help feed our heroes, go to Juma kitchen.com yeah i'm saying it again that's jumakitchen.com and donate let's clap them on the thursday and feed them on a friday massive love and respect going out for juma kitchen let's get started hola film family i'm isusko your host aka the time scheduler welcome to the Film Gods podcast, which is a chat with the best of the UK film crew who make all of those beautiful moving images you watch every day. I want to give a special thanks to Island Studios for the recording space. Thank you, Mark, Mitch, Pauline, and the whole team. And wherever you're listening, I hope you enjoy. Big love. Um, so, hello, Phil family. Um, today is an episode with a man who, when I get a call from my first AD, Sean, to say that we're working for him, you kind of get those butterflies, and it's like you've been called up from the from the reserves team to play for your for your national country at a World Cup final. You bring your A game, and you do your best. And um, hopefully, for all the students that listen out, I ask the questions that you want to know. Um, and being one of the best at his job in the planet, how you find time to do other things and be a musician and be an author, I'm hoping we can have a little chat about. Um, so firstly, thank you for coming on, sir. Really, really appreciate it. Um, what is your name and what is your role on the call sheet? Uh, well, my name's Daniel Kleinman and I'm a director. Um, and I kind of direct quite a few different types of things, but <clears throat> I'd say probably 80% of what I do is, is commercials, but some other stuff as well. Okay. And what does, what does being a director mean to you? Uh, I, I really enjoy the job because it's a, it's a very, it, it requires a lot of diverse talents and it's, um, it's not only creative, uh, but it's also political and it's also about communication with people. Um, I like the idea of storytelling and creating uh, images. Uh, <clears throat> you know, my background is art, so mm-hmm. the visual side of it is 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 very attractive to me. But um, also, I like the uh, problem solving, and I I like working with other people um, because it, I mean it's a bit of a cliche, but film. Filming is a collaborative process, and um, that is it's very fulfilling. And I I like having <clears throat> lots of other opinions to take into account, which can uh, make things better. And uh, it you know so it it's a good it's an interesting it's an interesting job. Nice. And you mentioned there that your background started off visual art how did you get into the industry what was there a was there an in that you suddenly went oh i, I like art but i want to move into film directing 
No, it was uh, it was slightly uh, accidental. Um, I um, I went to art school and um, I was very interested in illustration, and I did work as an illustrator for some years, um, doing things like uh, book covers and magazine articles and record sleeves and um, I used to do portraits of people when they were being interviewed in magazines. Um, unfortunately my uh, drawing style was very uh, time-consuming <clears throat> and I, I had an agent and you know was working properly um, and regularly but uh, it just took me so long to do the drawings that uh, I really couldn't make any money. money at it. <laughs> the idea had uh, changed. <laughs> uh, yeah. And the other thing was that um, I found it a very, uh, it's a very, very solitary uh, mm. thing to do. You know, I, I had a drawing table at home. Uh, sometimes I did work with a friend in a studio, but a lot of the time I worked at home and, and it's, uh, it's quite isolating. Um, and I also had a friend uh, at the time who was working in a camera hire, um, uh, called Samuelson's, which is a ca ca camera hire company. Mm -hmm. And he, his family, his parents were sort of in the film business. Um, his mother was a continuity lady and his dad was a sound man. And he had been on uh, shoots as sort of runner and eventually clap a loader and he was working at Samuelson's and it, this was in the seventies. So, uh, it was when, you know, a lot of new bands and pub rock and stuff like that, just sort of slightly before punk rock, yeah. uh, all that sort of stuff was happening. And, um, he used to go out with his camera, his name's Steve Barron and he used to go, borrow a camera from Samuelson's at the weekend. I'm not sure if they knew about it or not, but he'd, <laughs> he'd uh, borrow the camera and go out and film, film groups. Um, uh, in fact, I, I was in a group, I was in a few groups and um, playing music and he came and filmed us. Uh, and he, from that, he, he really almost sort of was right at the very beginning of, of music videos uh, in, in, in England and um, he, he got, went from strength to strength and became you know one of the most famous music video directors of his time um, wow. and he's still directing now and doing fantastically well but <clears throat> right at the beginning because he was uh, 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 he hadn't gone to film school he'd gone to um, he hadn't gone to film school he, he or, or art school he'd just gone straight into work at Samuelson's mm. he used to come and 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 I'd help him kind of have ideas for music videos because it started off just filming bands live but then yeah. it became more conceptual and so I, I I started to help him do have ideas and I did drawings of things I thought might look cool and do eventually that became storyboards mm. and so I I, I used to do that for him and I found I got more and more interested in it and realized that actually the way he was interpreting some of these things was not the way I would have done it. Yeah. Um, and that was my, so that was my route, route in and, and his sister 
he started, sorry, he, yeah, I'm jumping around. He started a, a, a production company called um, Limelight and Films and his sister was a producer there and she was also an old friend of mine and she helped me um, sort of get started as a director. Um, it's very different then to how it is now because uh, in the 70s, you in order to work professionally as a director, you had to be in the union. Um, oh, right, could, okay. It, it was a closed shop, effectively. Yeah. Uh, and because uh, the, the, the equipment and cameras and, you know, all the process you needed to do was so uh, difficult and professional, it's not like going around and filming something on your phone now. You know, there wasn't even video cameras. There was nothing, you know, it was yeah. film cameras and you had to have a proper crew and whatever. So it took, it took a little while for me to get uh, uh, into the, the union and get a union ticket. Were you shooting um, in that time or were you, were you kind of doing more no, storyboards? No, I, was, and... I was doing storyboards okay. and, um, and working with Steve. Um, you know, fairly soon he didn't need my help at all, but I was then doing some storyboards for other directors um, and uh, Julian Temple and various people. And uh, I, uh, but once I was in the union, I was able to do a first job. And one of the music, uh, one of the bands that I've done some storyboards for, uh, like the storyboards and like the concepts. And um, Siobhan, my my friend, who was the producer, uh, convinced them to let me have a go at directing one of their music videos. And that was Amazing. the first thing I did. Had you been pushing uh, to try to direct at that point, or were you kind of still thinking, "Well, maybe I'm not ready for"? No, <laughs> no, I was, I was, uh, I think I was kind of optimistically confident about it, um, mm. even though I didn't really know what I was doing. So I jumped in at the deep end, um, which is a little unusual. I didn't work my way up. I literally yeah. started as a director, well, having done storyboards and been on sets. Yeah, yeah started uh, directing and luckily the first thing I directed was uh, went down pretty well so uh, I got went on from there and then uh, Margaret Thatcher <clears throat> D uh, you know sort of opened up the the, the, the union it, it was no longer able to be a closed shop and mm -hmm. virtually there was then non-union work and uh, it, it, you know, which is probably a good thing. But um, for me, being in the union at that time was actually a really great thing because it meant there weren't that many people around doing it. It, yeah. it was a very small pool of people who were directing music videos. Uh, and um, that meant, despite the fact I didn't know what I was doing, I was still getting some jobs. <laughs> <laughs> and that, you know, that, that first set, that you've walked onto as the director. Oh. Was there a sense of, you know, I'll get by with my personality or do you, did, were you kind of over the top prepared for that so that you knew what would happen? What, how prepared were you kind of for that first job? I was pretty prepared. I mean, I, I because I'd, I'd done storyboards and, and stories and ideas for quite a lot of music videos before that. You know, I knew what you had to do. I knew the sort of shots you needed. And I, I personally liked kind of conceptual 
ideas at the time yeah. uh, and it was a bit of a wild west with music videos they were you'd have a kind of mad idea and everyone would go yeah that's great let's do it you know as opposed to <laughs> uh, you know being a bit more uh, uh, sort of thinking about it a bit more but uh, so I'd, I would plan things out very carefully I'd have shot lists I'd mm -hmm time out how my time could be used i'd have a an ad who would help me um you know keep this keep the the, the momentum going on the set and uh eventually you know you work with a crew of people that you trust and who know what you're doing what you know how you like to do things and it just went from strength to strength so that was i think the first thing i directed was in 1983 i think um, and did you have other you know you kind of did you have a star? Did you borrow styles from all the people that you'd storyboarded before? Were you very much, this is how I'm going to do it and this is going to be my forte? Well, I think I was lucky in that because I'd been to art school and I was interested in painting and graphic design and illustration, I had a very strong visual idea of what I wanted things to be. And also it was a very, a start of the very primitive kind of special effects um, uh capabilities um mm. and so i was using I, I was very interested in using special special effects and I, I i kind of used them in order to create uh slightly odd and strange scenarios and images um and at the time that's felt very fresh i think it was different and i was very lucky uh that i was able to do stuff that didn't look like anybody else's work and mm. that's one thing i'd say is that uh you know in order to stand out from the crowd these days if one wants to be creative or director or, or whatever in 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 this area is you it, it it's finding a way of creating something which doesn't look like everything else um you know you've got to have a bit of uh, personality and a bit of originality um, I mean obviously one takes references from all sorts of things and most of my references came from paintings oddly in fact the first okay. first few things I did I hardly moved the camera at all because I was thinking of it all as more like moving paintings uh, but eventually I I did realize you could actually move the camera as well <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And what kind of, you know, the paintings, is there a specific style? Is surrealism? Was there something that you kind of went, that I quite like that. And, and what did you get from it? What I used to do, actually, was I tried to never do the same thing twice because mm -hmm. I was quite aware of, of that each project I was being given, um, the, the, uh, you know, it was a great um, opportunity to... to, to experiment with somebody else's money effectively mm, yeah. and i and so each and i i hadn't been to film school so it, it was my own exploration and i think of that time doing music videos as my film school and me teaching myself how to do it and and so i didn't ever really want to do the same thing twice because once i'd done something i kind of felt okay i've got that I know how to do that and now I'm going to move on and do something else. Mm. And that's another thing that I think really helped me in my later career is that I, uh, I, uh, even though 
I'm saying one needs a personality and one needs to sort of be unique. You also don't want to only be able to do one thing. Mm. You know, you have to be able to put your abilities to live many different genres. So, you know, nowadays, or, or particularly when, when I was doing a lot of commercials, they could be all different. You know, I could be doing one that's special effects or one that's comedy, one that's dialogue, one that's just about photography, you know, because I just tried all these things and, felt confident in all those different areas uh you know it meant you, you're not just sort of pigeonholed as doing mm. one particular thing and i think that came from this time at doing music videos where i just experimented a hell of a lot i mean the downside to that for some of the bands was that some of them some of the videos weren't very good <laughs> <laughs> you know like, sorry um, i tried it it wasn't great yeah. and i you know i'll do the next one but yeah I mean, I had a go, you know, I, I was doing my best and I had a go at experimenting and sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. And, you know, I, it, I, for a couple of bands, I think I felt a bit bad that, uh, it, you know, they didn't turn out quite as well as I'd hoped. Um, and I'm not sure whether, uh, you know, it actually hurt their careers or not. But then again, a lot of the music I was working on was so terrible anyway that maybe it didn't make much difference. <laughs> <laughs> now, what does, so, you know, in the in the 70s and, and working on film, what does experimenting and being in a, innovative and pushing the boundaries, what did that look like? What did that feel like for you? Um, well, it, the bit I, you know, I like I like having the ideas and I like editing. I can't honestly say that my favorite part of filming is actually being on set. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I don't mind it, but the, the, I find, it, 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 to me, that's like creating the jigsaw puzzle pieces. Mm. And it, uh, the, the, having the, the ideas at the beginning is, is like have, having, inventing the big picture. Mm. And the shoot is like, creating the jigsaw puzzle pieces and then the editing is like putting them all together and that's the nice. bit I kind of find most exciting. Mm. And so I used to sit with an editor um, who um, would not only chop the stuff together but would also be doing the special effects. That's not how it works these days. Mm. Um, you go to a special effects company and all of the special effects are, are done in different rooms on different machines by different people but uh, in those days, which was really great for me, I'd sit with a, with a guy and it was all done in this analog way. And uh, I remember um, there was a, a new machine called an ADO. I can't even remember what it stands for now, but basically we'd shoot on film. The film would be transferred via telecine onto videotape. Mm. The videotape was then put, uh, was then able to be, edited in, in an analog suite uh, and by doing things like bouncing one tape and another tape onto a third tape, you could build up layers of different images wow. and you could take one of the images and with this ADO machine, you could shrink it down and spin it round. And I remember we were all just sitting there with our jaws dropped going, oh my God, that is amazing. You know? <laughs> and then you'd sort of see it on top of the pops next week, sort of, you know, images yes. flying about in little boxes. And so uh, I, I used to find 
that process really exciting and, and thinking, okay, I can shoot, I can make an image in a box and I can shrink the image down and I can put it inside another image and then I can bounce that onto another tape and shrink the image down with another box, but I can put that box on, a, on an angle and eventually build up something which looks like a cube made wow. out of pictures. You know, wow. it sounds now sort of so basic uh and not very interesting but at the time um it was it was you know it was really cutting edge and he kind of thought wow this is such fun and um it was a bit like drawing a bit like illustrating building up a, a picture out of lots of different elements and uh so i found that uh, really exciting and um and then it was really just keeping up with the technology uh because as things progressed Things went from being analog to being digital to uh, being nothing edited on film or shot on film anymore. Everything mm. being, uh, you know, shot with digital cameras, and it's really kind of amazing to me that within my working lifetime, the difference of of, of what can be done uh, and technically can be done. It is just it's it's you know it's literally the diff, the like ha having a wax cylinder for a mute for a song and mm. uh, and uh, uh, you know MP3 player whatever it is you know it's just it's it now boy, does it feel like now it's just about you can actually create anything that you can imagine whereas before you might have had a you know, say say when it was all working on film and you'd have this idea and maybe I don't know if you know you write a treatment and then you'd kind of get to shooting and you might just be just you know a fraction away from being able to get exactly what you wanted is now just such a great time where you're like oh yeah I want a unicorn over there and I want the unicorn to turn into a, a ferret and then the ferret to run down a hole in the street you know it's like all of these things like is it just now a matter of so what sounds like imagine? sounds like you watched a few of my music videos <laughs> Well, I tried. I did try looking up Bazooka Joe, and there was a few on there. It was great. I, d I, d oh, I don't well. know. I don't know which ones you were in because there was a, like a lot of just album covers as um, as the YouTube video. But there's some cool little tracks. Oh right. Well, um, the uh, I, I suppose today, pr pretty much yes, you you can more or less do anything. There is it, it, it is incredible. Your uh, imagination knows no bounds and I I think the plus side to that is that uh, you know you can let your imagination free uh, the downside to it is that it, it, it it's now kind of quite probably more difficult to create images that astound people because mm. they're so used to seeing extraordinary visuals yeah. Um, so one has to kind of keep trying to think of things which feel fresh and different. Um, and uh, I, in a way, I kind of miss the, um, you know, the kind of sellotape and glue version of doing special effects uh, yeah. because it, I was much more in control of it. I was much more hands-on. I was literally sitting with someone doing it and 
now it, it's you know you never meet half the people who are working on your project um, yeah. uh, but but on the other hand it it does mean you can you can create things extraordinary things out of your out of your imagination which would never possible in the in the past yeah. but um you know the, the the bottom line of it is that it doesn't really matter what the most important thing and i've always said this throughout my creative career is the most important thing is the idea if you've got a great idea that people really think is interesting and fun or in or amazing or whatever it is then you engage with it it it, it doesn't really i mean I, it, it helped me in a way that i had some interesting ideas but maybe technically they weren't executed particularly well and certainly if you look back on them now music videos from the 80s and early 90s look terribly clunky um mm. you know you just wouldn't believe that you know that the the, the level of keying with blue screen was so terrible you know everything had a white line around it and you know it was all yeah. you know it was very very primitive but the ideas were there you went with the flow and if you if the idea is good you go with the flow and i think these days if you have these this amazing technology at your fingertips it doesn't really if it's not a good idea it doesn't matter it's still going to be boring you know you've got to you've got to have the idea and the technique should always be subservient to the idea. Um, so you can look back on things that are perhaps seem technically naive today, um, but still enjoy them because mm. there's a great idea or they're funny or whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, or you could look at the most sophisticated movies today with, people flying to different universes and all that sort of stuff and thing and start yawning and walk out of the cinema you know it's uh, yeah. so it, it really is about about the idea and and if you do some if you find a technique that you think this is going to be interesting then it has to be subservient to an idea because you can look back at something quite quite often people did used to do music, uh, videos and, and things where you'd have an idea and that would be the music video it would just be a technique there was no sort of idea behind it. it would just be a look which had a kind of strange look you know keyed in a strange way or weird thing and it's amazing how quickly that goes out of date it feels cutting edge for a month or two and then a year later it looks terrible and yeah. five years later it just looks pathetic so you have to have the it has to be based on a concept yeah. now that you know the importance of that of the idea how do you come up with an idea you know you you, you hear a track I, d I don't know how the process would have would have worked but say you get given a track by a band that you love and they say come up with with a concept is there a process that you like to go through is there like you know you go to a room and listen to something or draw or you know have you got something that helps you kind of try and start that seed of creativity um well, you know what? It's been quite a long time since I've done a music video. And I, I did what, I've done one music video for Billie Eilish yes. that I did that I did a, a couple of months ago, and that was the first one I've done for. What was it like probably, being back? Sorry. What was it like being back, hearing the track for hundred times, yeah. and you know? It, it was it was fun actually. I quite enjoyed it, but you know, I hadn't done one for nearly 20, 25 years before wow. that. You know, so um, you know, I'm just 
thinking back to what the process used to be and used to be like, but it's really about finding what, um, what atmosphere and what images go with the, go with the song. Uh, you know, sometimes if I didn't like the song, uh, which was quite often, I, I just, uh, kind of come up with a story or find some, uh, find something I wanted to experiment with and which might fit with it in some way. Uh, but, uh, and I had a book of ideas that I just scribbled down ideas if I was inspired by anything. And then, mm. you know, if a song came along, I thought, oh, actually, maybe that idea would work for that. I'd, I'd, uh, I'd do it that way. But nowadays, the, the closest I get to doing music videos is, is doing the title sequence for the James Bond films, which is Amazing. like, uh, which is like doing an enormous music video. Mm. Um, you know, how did on, you get, how did that come? I've, I've kind of read up online, but how, how did that, world come about for you it, it, you you were in music videos and, and commercials and it just was something that happened or how, how do you um, come about? well i'm not entirely certain why or how it happened but um i had done a i, I used to do um in the 80s and, and early 90s i used to do quite a lot of music videos that um were linked into movies mm -hmm. because uh MTV and and things like that were very very big at the time, particularly in America. Um, had massive audiences, and it was a very good marketing tool for movies to have a a, a music video associated with. It. So so nice. quite often I'd do a music video which featured the singer, but it would also feature clips of the film. Okay. And one of the music videos I did was for uh, License to Kill, which was um, the Gladys Knight song, which went with the film, with the Bond film. Mm. And I, uh, I'd, I'd always been a fan of Morris Binder's work, who, who had done the uh, title sequences for all the Bond films. So I, uh, I used it as a way of doing a little bit of a, uh, a homage to him. Nice. And I think that was kind of remembered by the producers of the film. Um, and in between times, um, uh, between License to Kill and the next film, which was Goldeneye, Maurice, Maurice had died. Uh, there was quite, it was a seven year gap. It was one of the longest gaps between Bond films. Mm. And sadly he died. And uh, I think they remembered me having worked on this, music video and doing a kind of title sequence-esque thing yeah. uh, and I'd met met them I'd met Cubby Broccoli and um, Barbara and Michael uh, who are now the producers so there was a little bit of connection there okay um, and so I got asked like went in and got asked whether you know would I be interested in what would I do and uh, it went from there was it was it something that you hadn't really ever thought about doing and it did it take a long time to decide did you have to really go home and think whether it was a yes or no answer or is it like no. a yeah it's like as soon as you left the room i'm in oh no i mean you know it's, a, it's, it's an absolutely iconic thing to do it's such yeah. a you know it's such fun and um i you know i was a, a bond fan as a kid and um, you know like most british kids grew up with Bond and uh, I, I 
no, it was I, I jumped at the opportunity. It was uh, would I just thought that oh, this is such would be such fun and you know recreate it's it it if one's ever going to do a title sequence to a movie, I mean that <laughs> that's the one to do. It's the most famous one in yeah. the world. The the uh, you know I had to do things. Well, I have had to do things like redesign the, the the gun barrel sequence where Bond walks in through the gun barrel, which apparently is the most recognized image second only to the queen's head on the on a stamp wow work. amazing one one kind of things yeah you know quite a lot of responsibility and quite a cool thing like, wow you know it's, so no i had no hesitation about thinking oh this would be great to do yeah. is that a is that a very creative process for you you given a uh, is it very much like a commercial where you're giving a storyboard and a script and please shoot this, or is there a bit of collaboration into here's the film? What do you think? You know, how, how creative a process can that be? Um, I, I, I get uh, pretty much carte blanche to do uh, what I like. I get, uh, I get sent the script mm -hmm. uh, of the, of the movie. Before when they're shooting it. So is it all kind of like, you know, it feels Sometimes, like a very James Bond thing where like a man with a briefcase turns up and you get to read a script or does it just get yeah. emailed out? No, no, no. I get there's a special driver who turns up with a, <laughs> uh, you know, special with script which got my name written all over it so that, you know, it can't... <laughs> if it turns up somewhere. Anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, people know where it's come <laughs> from. It's highly confidential wow. and, uh, and I... I sometimes get to read it before they've started filming mm -hmm. um and so it, it, it's from the script that i get an idea of what the story is going to be about what the main themes are what the atmosphere of it is and it's from there that i i just have i brainstorm my own ideas do drawings sketches um and these days i i, I have to work very closely with a post-production company because it, it, it it's so post heavy mm. um, and I asked them to come up with some thoughts and suggestions and you know I plunder a few different things but really it, it, it's completely everything comes out of my own head and then I uh, I do have to have it okayed by the producers and also by the, the director of the main film because it is a sequence to go on his film, effectively, mm. his or her film. But um, that is, that thereby there's something, that, that can also be a collaborative process in the sense that, you know, it's nice to have another creative set of eyes on it. And quite often I respect those directors and sometimes they really are interested in what I'm doing and uh, sometimes just say, look, I haven't got time for this and um, just let me get on and do what I want. Yeah. Uh, usually it's a little bit of both. And um, it, it, it's, 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 a, it's a great freedom. And in, this, in that sense, that's why I was talking about it, because it is like a music video that doesn't mm. have the band in it. Yeah. Uh, uh, but it is sort of big bravura kind of images put to music. The, the, the strange thing about it is that the process of tying down the music can be quite protracted mm. and uh, and difficult for 
uh, for the producers. So quite often I have to start on the images and start on the, the title sequence before I even hear the music or know what, oh, who wow. the artist is going to be. So you're kind of doing a music video without the music, which is quite hair raising to begin. Yeah. But, uh, you know, one has to be flexible and work it into the, to, to, to make it all work together during the process. And you're, so you're, you kind of the, the background and the starting point for you, which was trying to be as creative and pushing the boundaries of, of special effects on film as that, I guess that must've been a useful tool or not upset, but like a, a characteristic of yourself that would be able to make a great bond title. Well, like I said, I was, I, you know, I was interested in, in, in graphic design. Um, you know, I, that's, that was, that was the course I did at art school was graphic mm. design. And, um, uh, you know, that was a strong element to, to the early work that I, I did in film. Um, and, uh, that lends itself very nicely to title sequences, um, mm. and particularly bond. Um, but, I do try and mix it up so it's not just about about that. It's about um, the, the the strange thing with with Bond title sequences is that it it needs to be fresh. It needs to be new. It needs to be kind of really impressive and atmospheric and bravado. But it also has to be traditional and bear relevance to. Uh, and reference to all to the past and the heritage and the mm. history of it, the images, the atmosphere that you know, uh, so you know where you are. You're in a Bond Bond world. I mean, it, it, it's um, it's a balancing act between the old and the new, and and that I find um, really interesting. And uh, I. I Actually, if it comes down to it, I quite like working to a brief in a way. Mm. Uh, and that's my brief. My brief is to kind of make it old but new or new but old. <laughs> yeah. And is that working in, in TV commercials, do you get that same carte blanche or is there a little bit more of a structure to how you're engaged and how you engage with the process um, making a, like a shorter form TV scene? Um, well, I think with, with television commercials, things have changed a lot over the last 20 years. Um, the sort of reviewer work of, a, of, a, of an author director, um, which perhaps one used to see with Ridley Scott or, or Tony Kay or those names of people who you know, you'd instantly recognize their work if you saw it uh, in a commercial. And presumably they, well, they you did used to have complete control over everything, the edit, the visuals, the filming, you know, those days are long, long gone. Uh, mm. You now, um, it, it, it has to be a collaborative process. You're, gi you're given a, a script and a storyboard you know, quite often creatives say, you know, they want you to reinterpret their work or add in your own ideas, but, you know, you have to analyze that, you know, do they, do they want you to completely reinterpret it? Do they want you just to make it better? Do, do they want 
new ideas thrown in there or do they want you just to work with their ideas and make those better it's 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 a much much more nuanced way of of kind of working with people um these days and that's partly due to the way agencies work these days and the way clients expect to be part of the process uh, and so I, I always ask a lot of questions to begin with um, because you have to think that sometimes creatives uh, advertising agencies may have worked for six months or longer on a mm. on a script in order to get it through and approved you know they're probably pitching against other creatives yeah. and then they have to they have to get it approved by the client and then they send it out to directors and then if you go right okay well let's chuck out all these ideas and do something different <laughs> it's not really <laughs> six months well. later yeah it's like mm, yeah. i've come up with my own idea thanks very much yeah <laughs> so one has to tread tread carefully and 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 kind of read between the lines you know how much input do they really want you know mm. do, is this of course i would like to say that everybody's everybody's raison d'etre for doing it is to create great work that they're proud of and put something out where you're proud to have your name on it but sometimes these days i'm afraid to say it, it's just getting the work out at all is yeah. is uh you know it's important because um you know it may the clients seem to these days have much more input the you know the it, it, what what changed was was the introduction of focus groups and those sort of things where you know you're you're no longer taking one director's idea and just running with it and hoping it works when it's on tv mm. you're you're, it's subjected to a whole load of testing beforehand and okay. working things out beforehand to make sure that it, it works. And, and and the downside to that is that the sort of edgier, more bizarre and kind of idiosyncratically odd stuff seems to no longer get, get made. Everything yeah. becomes slightly more bland, <coughs> but um, you know, there, you, it is still possible to do good work. Um, and I still enjoy doing it and I still want to do my best and I want to do work that, that I want to take someone's script and make it as good as I can. I don't particularly feel that uh, one, every single piece of work has to be an award-winning, game-changing piece of work. Yeah. What my job is, is to take the idea that someone has the script and the commercial and to make it as good as it can possibly be if it's not a great idea if you know if there are faults in the idea or the concept or whatever then it, it, it's never going to be great but you can make it a lot better than it perhaps reads on the page you can do your, your best to mm. make it as good as it possibly can be and i always try to do something in a shoot on a shoot within a something that I personally find interesting. It may not be something which people say, oh, wow, that's incredible, or it, it moves, um, you know, it, 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 it's, it makes it from uh, something that's good into something 
spectacular. It might just make something reasonably average into something reasonably good. You know, yeah. it doesn't. And <laughs> and I, and I still feel I've done my job yeah. if I if I do that. Like for instance, you know, working on the the set which had um, which could rotate three hundred and sixty degrees. I'd never done that before. You know, wow. it's kind of an interesting thing to do for a particular ad. Hmm. Uh, you know. Probably like a full moving, right, like so. It's like if someone's in there, they're then walking on the walls, they're walking on the ceiling, they're walking on a. Amazing. Exactly, exactly, and that's you know the end result was interesting. You know, I don't think it's going to trouble the awards juries, mm -hmm. but it was a really interesting process. So I enjoyed it, and I think we made it a lot better than than it it could have been. <laughs> so, yeah. So to me, that's a success. Amazing. And with, with the years that you've worked in the industry and, and the jobs that you've done, starting off having not gone to film school and, and kind of learning the craft as you did it, was there a point that you ever went, okay, I'm now a director? Or does that never really come? Is there always something to learn? Oh, I'm always learning. I mean, I've, I've never... It, it, it's incredible, and you know this is just go as much as anyone that you you get on a set, and it doesn't matter how much experience you've got, something happens that you never expected. You know, some yeah. problem will crop up, or some event that you know you didn't expect will throw a spanner in the works, and you've got to think on your feet, and you've got to work out, you know, how you work around something, um, and. A lot of, of a director's job is actually problem solving. That is part of what you're what you're doing. Um, so uh, I'm not only always learning because of the serendipitous nature of the job, but also because I, I like to include things. I like to try and include and try things that I that, that I still find interesting and different. And mm. I don't want to just do the same thing again and again. Mm. Uh, but uh, I, I suppose the biggest misnomer about what a director does is is you, you kind of think it's this person that's got everything in his head and just shouts at everybody. But actually, what it is is to is to try and make sure that everybody on a film crew is all making the same film. Mm. It's very difficult for the different departments to see beyond their own department. Um, and rightly so. I mean, you, you, you know, everyone takes great pride in their own part of the craft, but somebody has to have the overview to say, look, uh, you know what? This is a beautiful bit of makeup, but it's somebody who's gonna be standing a uh, hundred yards in the background and we're running out of time and we've got to shoot and yeah. thanks so much, but let's get on put that there you know it, it it's it's just that kind of thinking of making sure that everybody is is working in the same for the same in the same direction everything's heading in the same direction and mm. is because no one can see the vision in your head i suppose um but you try and communicate that as much as possible so effectively i don't physically do anything um i just sit in a chair and get brought cups of tea and <laughs> and talk to other people and that's all yeah. i do 
Yeah. Some directors look through the camera and move the camera. Some directors op operate, like my friend Steve Barron I was talking about, operate, mm. does his own operation sometimes, yeah. operating. But, but I don't. And so, you know, literally I just sit on my arse all day and talk to people. That's all I do. <laughs> and so you do it very, very well. You know, and hopefully the teas that we bring you, uh, they're okay. <laughs> you know, if we ever bring one and it's the wrong one, you just tell us. It's not a problem. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You know, the, the people that I'm hoping are listening are those film students and media students, and they're going to have looked at your body of work and they're going to go, where do I start? How do I even contemplate in becoming a Danny Kleiman? Is there, are there, are there things that they should do with their, you know, should it just be watch films or is it just make stuff? What would, I guess, what would you tell the young Danny in the seventies um, if, when you were starting off? Well, um, I think I think my advice for most people these days is, you know, unlike how I was describing when I started, when it was very very difficult to physically film anything. You know, you couldn't just get a camera and film something. You couldn't because it had to be a big camera. It had to be if you wanted sound, you have to have a sound recording person. Mm. You had to load the camera up you had to send the camera the film off to the chemist you had to get it back you had to then edit it in a way it was very physically difficult to film something now yeah. you can film something very very easily you can edit and do amazing special effects on a laptop that that 10 years ago you needed to a uh, uh, hundred thousand quid to do now you can do you know in your living room on a, on a laptop yeah. or on your phone effectively, yeah. you know, it's, it, it's extraordinary. So the, the access to the, to the heart, uh, to the hardware and, and to the actual making of the stuff is very easy. And, um, I, I, I'd certainly suggest, you know, getting yourself knowledgeable with that equipment. So, you know, its potential know how to do a bit of editing yourself know how to do basic special effects know about filming and lighting even knowing about you know production process and how to organize uh, organize a shoot you know even if it's only four friends you've got to do a, a a film you're doing on an iphone you still need to be organized and get everyone there on time you have mm. to have everything pre-worked out you know do all those practical things and that's a lot easier now than it was. But the biggest thing I think is to is to think of the content. Like, what is it you want to do? Kind of have ideas. Try and th make something fresh. Try and don't just copy something else. Be be inspired by other things, perhaps. But have an idea. Have a you know, make it be about beauty. Make it be about funny dialogue. Make it be about um, you know, pratfalls or something something that's going to make make it look not like everybody else's work yeah. and uh and uh, i personally like to be very very organized i mean some people just wing it and go and film a load of stuff and that way you can get some serendipitous sort of lucky you can get lucky and find little bits of gold and and edit that together and create something. But I personally, I, I leave a little bit of space for that, but I personally like to be very organized. I like to have storyboards. I like to have things worked out. I like to have a shot list. Mm. I like to know the timings of how much time I've got to do each shot. Because to me, having uh, 20 shots that are 90% great 
is better than having one shot that is 100% great because nice. you can't make a film out of one shot. You yeah. know? Nice. So you need to know when to stop, when to move on, when, you know, when you're, you're digging yourself into a hole, you've got to think of the big picture. And, uh, and also remember that, that it, it, if, if, if it's not perfect, if the idea is great, it doesn't actually matter that it's not perfect. You can, you can run with it. I mean, you look at things like uh, a great example would be Japanese puppet theater. So oh, wow. what, 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 when you have um, the, the, this, uh, there's a, a tradition of Japanese puppets where the puppet master is working the puppet and he's standing next to the puppet and he's probably wearing black, but he's not wearing a hood. You see his face and his whole thing. And he's working the puppet around. And, uh, and, and, it, and they move in most amazing, beautiful ways. And within probably a minute or a minute and a half, you literally cannot see the puppet master. You're wow. engrossed in the story of the puppet because yeah. it's so beautiful. And the story is interesting, the emotion, it going with the music is interesting. So don't get too kind of het up with all the technical side of stuff. Just think, what's the bloody story here? What's the idea? What am I mm. trying to say? You know, uh, and make that that be the, the you know the key raison d'etre to what you're doing. I'm just as you're talking, my brain is thinking the amount of people that have probably stopped listening to this podcast now for a moment and are just YouTubing Japanese puppet and are just going to now just watching Japanese puppets. It's just got like the, the YouTube views are just gonna, probably going to fly up into the millions. Um, <laughs> now the, that whole, that whole process of being on set and, and, and working through what you're doing. Is there, is there a is there a process for you to you know I've I've been very very fortunate that working with Sean Cotter first AD that I've 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 seen how you work and your process of working with a with a cast member is just amazing. It's how I would see a director work on a feature film. Is that something that you've always had a passion for and talking someone through to kind of as you say get them to where your vision of not so much exactly how they say the line, but the feel of the, of the shot. Is that something that has always interested you? Uh, well, I, I, I think it's, it's about, like I said, my job is just about communication. That's, mm. a, that's all it is really, um, especially on set. It's about communicating with the crew uh, and communicating with the actors. And you have to, uh, give them, help them um, do their craft. I mean, uh, I find, it, it, again, it is quite difficult and you have to judge it per the person because there are some actors who, you know, I, are so brilliant at what they do. I can't give them acting tips. I'm not there to sort yeah. of, you know, teach them how to act. All I'm there to do is to, is to, fine tune or explain or focus in on what the key moments of the story are and um quite often um you know one works the you know the better the actor the less direction you need to give them uh, really um and uh the more direction you give somebody the worse it can get because it starts to become mechanical. They're thinking of all the different things that you've said, okay, walk in, 
look right, look to your left, look worried, run up to the table, be surprised. You know, they kind of get, you just tell them, look, the story is you've come, you've come home, you're not sure what's going on. And, uh, and, and then uh, you find something that you didn't expect on the table and just let them run with it. And nice. that's probably a better yeah, way nice. to do it than to sort of break it down into exactly. I mean, sometimes if you're not getting the performance you want, you do have to get into a little bit of that, breaking it down into bits and pieces. But, um, you know, I, I, was, I respect actors, I respect their craft. You know, they, they, they know what they're doing and, you know, they're, they're better at acting than I am. In fact, the one thing I have to keep stopping myself doing is when I'm explaining something is acting it out myself because I don't oh, want them. Okay. I don't want yeah. them to copy me. You don't mm. want them to do yeah. to do it how they do it. And is is there is there a way of being able to to practice that, or is that just something that you just can tell very quickly whether it's working or not? I think you I think you can tell pretty pretty much when it's working. But all actors are different. I remember this this I don't know whether it's apocryphal or not, but the story about um, uh, there was a film with. Peter Sellers and Terry Thomas mm -hmm. in back in the sixties, uh, who were the biggest comedy stars in Britain at the time. And a producer thought this is going to be brilliant. We put the two biggest uh, comedy stars at the time in a film together and it's going to be hilarious. And what, what they didn't bargain for is that uh, Terry Thomas was always best on his first or second take and Peter Sellers was always best on his 20th or 30th oh, take. No. So there was never <laughs> any takes where they were both yeah. any good in it. <laughs> yeah. So it's like for the yeah. first few, like, get the body double in, right, you, you're yeah. here for the first few takes for him and now you swap you over. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, one has to, one has to uh, kind of adapt to the situation somewhat. Yeah. And there are, you know, I've worked with, with, with actors who are tricky and who are, you know, sometimes, particularly in commercials, sometimes they're a bit resentful that they're there, there at all. You know, it's a bit, mm. bit beneath them doing a commercial, but, you know, they've taken the dosh, so they ought to bloody do it, you know. Yeah. And then also I've worked a lot with um, big sports stars who, again, have taken God knows how many millions of quid they're getting paid for, you know, uh, advertising a fizzy drink or a sports shoe or something, but, they're not actors. You can't expect them to do to to act. I mean, some of them give it a go, but uh, one has to craft the thing so that what they do do is within their within their capabilities, and they can do it well. So it's it's a you know, it's a, you judge it as <laughs> you judge it yeah. as you're going along. Nice. Um, the you know the, the times of changing. Is there is there anything that you're thinking at the minute you're going, I really would, I, I kind of, you know, trying to be on that forefront. I kind of, have you got more ideas that you're planning on using? Is there anything that's kind of getting your creative juices flowing at the moment? Uh, well, not, not, I can't really say there is particularly other than, you know, I, I have a lot of other interests other than film. Uh, you yes. know, I, I like music, I like art, I paint, I do metal work, I like gardening, I like doing all sorts of different things, you yeah. know, which for me keeps, you know, my brain active and my creative brain active. Uh, and I in, enjoy working in film. I, you know, I've just finished a new 
Bond film titles, uh, uh, which is a great joy and yeah. a lot of work and a lot of quite a lot of pressure. Uh, but I was, you know, I re still really enjoyed it, and I hope I'm going to carry on for a while longer. But um, I, I suppose, uh, if in times like at the moment when you know the film industry is basically ground to a halt because mm. of um, you know the global pandemic and, and whatever, I'm still able to find things that interesting <laughs> interest me to do and uh, you know I, I i i really think that everyone ought to do life drawing and uh, even though life drawing are obviously is a bit difficult if you're isolating but you you could you can draw fruit or you can draw the dog or whatever mm. and that's uh keeping creative it, it, it's not only cre creative uh, it's also um, a great di mind discipline. It helps you um, be very analytical uh, mm. about what it is you're doing and what you're looking at and what you're seeing, the mark you're making. And it, it, it helps your, it helps decision making basically, mm. which, which applies to, being a director because all a director does is make lots of decisions and uh it also helps in just general everyday life you know deciding do i want to do that or do i want to do that you cut to the mm. chase know what is the important yeah. thing to do nice um we we touched on it briefly and we've kind of gone through the the treatment and the shooting post-production and editing has been something that i've heard a lot of directors that i've been talking to say you know editing for me is the most important part and when i'm on set i'm kind of thinking you know what are my shots and how do i edit is that something when you're writing your shot list that you're already in post-production mind that you're already thinking i don't want to shoot you know four hours of stuff that i don't need oh definitely yeah uh you know there are different styles as i said you know some people will just film a lot of stuff and then just hope it all goes together in in, in the edit i mean particularly you have to work that way if you're doing documentaries, for instance. I mean, you're yeah. just following what's going on, or you know, being aware of of, of what um, what's happening around you and trying to bring out things from people, and then you create the you you. It's very difficult to plan that for an edit, but the type of work I do for uh, commercials, for instance, I I have a. Um, I have a structure in my mind, I have a storyboard, um, and I'm already thinking as I'm shooting how the shots are gonna go together. Sometimes I actually have an editor on set with me so that I can check that shots are working together and then I'm getting a, a flow of a sequence. Because the other thing to bear in mind is that it, with a commercial these days, anyway, unless it's just the sort of on, on the internet, has to be a certain length. Yes. So uh, in 30 seconds, you have a hell of a lot of different things you have to cram in there and make sure they're clear uh, and not feel rushed and are working and are funny or whatever it is you're trying to do. And you can't just leave that to hope it'll, hope it'll happen in the edit. You have to plan that, you know, yeah. you have to... 
you have to plan. One one way to plan it is to do storyboard beforehand, mm-hmm. do an animatic where you cut the storyboard together so that you can work out have I got time for this or whatever. Uh, and while I'm also shooting, I tend to imagine how it could be cut in different ways so that if one way doesn't work, I have a different shot I can use to get around the problem. Uh, And it's usually to do with getting time out, you know, getting, making it feel smooth, but, but, uh, but losing gaps, losing the the breaths and the pauses and the thing, the things, because inevitably you, you got a 30 second ad and you go, if only this was 32 seconds long, it would be genius, but it's, I've got to lose two seconds out of it somehow. And then you're really scrabbling for things. So I, uh, I tend to kind of have get out of jail plans. Uh, and the other thing, probably counterintuitive, is that in order to make something, in order to make action feel quicker, you actually need more shots, not less shots. So uh, if you want something to happen, uh, a sequence of events to happen within 10 seconds, it's actually better to have quite a few shots so that you can cut to different angles mm. and you cut the pauses out. So you, you could, in a, in the most simplistic term, if someone's getting out of a car and walking up a path and going into a front door, you can, if you've got several shots of that, you can tell that story within, even though in real time it takes, it might take 15, 20 seconds. Yeah. With, uh, with quick edits of a couple of different angles and a couple of different interesting shots, uh, you know, hand on a, on a door doorknob or a finger on a doorbell or, you know, whatever it happens to be, whatever you want to do, you can tell that in, in probably under a second. Mm. You know, you could do a couple of quick shots and, you know, out the car, in the room, blah, 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 there you are. Yeah. You know, maybe. Uh, and then you've got to think, well, why did I want him to go up the path? You know, what was the point of it? Is it to establish what the look of the house was so that we know the demographic of the person, you know, what the type of person house it is, or do we need the shot of the house? Or does it need, why don't we just start inside the house? You, know, you have to kind of be thinking of that okay. the whole time. Yeah, nice. And, you know, thinking through those, those boards and you said, you know, you kind of start off with a mood and a tone. Does that, does that kind of give you then a sense of how you're going to shoot something? You know, whether it is a, a specific camera style, lighting, how how in depth should that should directors be thinking about their frame? Well, you know, every every director's different and everybody's different, quite rightly so. But I personally tend to find reference for things. I've you know, I find different visual stimulus which um I think might help. Uh I do my own drawings and things to, to, to show to maybe the art department or the, um, or the cameraman. But I also rely heavily on a, on a, on a DP. Uh, well, we used to call them lighting cameramen, but now they're sort of ubiquitously called DPs, directors of photography. And they, um, they are your, you know, your, your, your partner in creating a film, you know, unless you're doing it yourself, of course. Yeah. But, they're your, they're your partner. Um, and one, you know, I don't like say taking a, 
a classic photo, say like a horsed photo or something, mm. and saying, "Look, this is what I want you to. Do. This is what I want it to look like. Do yeah. this." And then they're just copying someone else. What I'll do is is discuss the atmosphere and what I'm trying to achieve and the references that I've got, and then leave it leave them space to be creative themselves. Uh, you can always say no. You know, um, mm. it doesn't matter how you know famous or whatever a DP is if I see something I think look that's not quite right you know can we try it a bit like this usually they're totally open to it especially the more uh, <coughs> the more famous and the more brilliant they are in my experience the more open they are to input and and flexibility and suggested that be you know having suggestions put to them so amazing you know, I would definitely if you have a friend or or a colleague or, or, or working with a, a great DP. I mean, I definitely, it, it's worth relying on them to bring their own thing to it. Yeah. And that relationship from a creative point of view with your DP, is that just as important to have a relationship with your kind of logistical side, the producers and, and, and that kind of stuff? You know, we spoke, we've spoken to the wonderful Mr. Johnny Frankel um, and it sounds like you two have, have have been together working for for a few years is that that relationship with a producer for a director is that just as important it is important um it, it it's important to trust the team you have around with you uh the i suppose having a long-term relationship with someone is great because there are lots of shortcuts and shorthand you don't need to kind of reinvent the wheel every time you're working yeah, uh, and um, also there's a certain amount of trust to know that you aren't being stitched up. I mean, you know, it's slightly different in in Johnny and my particular case because uh, we own the company together. Hmm. So, but quite often, if you're a director working with a producer for a company, the the, the producer is effectively working for the company, and they are there not not only to make you, give you the, the facilities you need to do your job right, but also to make the company money. And, uh, you know, it, if they've finished the job and it's come in on budget or even better under budget, then they look good. So there is a little bit of, of pressure sometimes on, on producers or freelance producers or a producer you've not worked with before to say to you, well, look, you know, do we really need this bit of equipment or do you, you know, you, can we do this in, in two days rather than six days? And you kind of go, well, <laughs> well <laughs> you know, there's four so, days missing somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, it, it, it's not, it's not, there, there is a slight conflict of interest between the director and producer sometimes mm. in the world of commercials. Uh, so, you, so working with someone you trust who is not going to stitch you up is nice. is important. Uh, and uh, but then the more on hands producer, like uh, the the your your AD and your second AD and the people that are organising the shoot literally on the shoot, then you know their job is to partly work for uh you in, in making the everything run smoothly and and 
make sure that you know you're not wasting time because time is your most important uh, and valuable asset uh, but it, they are also there to make sh- to make sure that uh, the the producer isn't tearing his hair out going why why are we have we not moved on from that setup yeah. yet you know there's a so th- there's definitely political dynamics on a set and if you're working with a crew of people you you trust and understand and who know each other and know we're all trying to in the end work towards the same thing then that makes a big difference so johnny um mentioned in the story that um the bertie miller kind of got him in and and you'd mentioned that you'd have a a a three-month kind of look and if it worked then it worked so it sounded like that three-month rolling period has has come to an end and he's happy and you're you know you've 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 got you've, you've forged a good relationship um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think I, I, you know, we've kind of. It feels like we've gone past the hour, so I, I lost track of time, and mm-hmm. I apologise, sir. Um, yeah, sure. I've, I've kind of got. We've got so much brilliant stuff, and we've gone through so many wonderful things. Um, I don't want to take up too much of your time, so I'll probably just ask: Is there anyone or anything that you'd like to give a thumbs up to, or someone that's doing something that you want to um, kind of give a shout out to? Um. Uh, uh, I haven't had a lot of time to think about it, so let's go. But I, okay. I think there's um, there's uh, something called the Mark Tanner Sculpture Award, mm-hmm. um, which which is run by the Standpoint Gallery, um, and it's actually the country's uh, one of the country's best sculpture awards. And Mark Tanner was. Um, my boyhood friend we used to play in bands together and oh, wow. he was a really brilliant um sculptor uh who sadly died of hemophilia through the um hemophilia crisis wow. um in the uh, in the 80s hmm. uh and which is still an ongoing scandal the government are looking are still you know there's still inquiries going on at, today about it Mm. Uh, but one of his legacies was this um, sculpture award uh, which is given to um, a uh, well it's a competition and it's given to a new and innovative sculptor every year and it's always really interesting so um, I think you can look it up on the internet and they do have shows that that, that, that travel the country showing this this work of new sculpture Brilliant. so um yeah I think i'll find a link look. yeah i'll put it in the little bio um okay. of, of what i put out so people can kind of find it easier um, okay well you yeah. go to the standpoint standpoint gallery um on the internet you should find it there amazing um well look sir thank you so much for giving up your time um and 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 for kind of telling us your story and and for passing on such amazing little bits of knowledge and just you know feelings and 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 having a a, a chat with me in in this time and uh, you know it really is appreciated and i hope that all the people that are listening have enjoyed it and that film students and media students can kind of gauge what to do and how to do it so thank you 
Well, not at all. It's been a pleasure. And, you know, I actually quite like the sound of my own voice, so it's all good. Oh, well, we'll do this again. We could do like a, a six-parter <laughs> every week. We'll have a chat, maybe not. <laughs> well, ladies and gents, thank you for listening and subscribe and share. And until we meet again, that is a wrap. So that was a chat with the king or queen in the game. I'll give it a shout at the end so you all know the name. It's the Film Gods Podcast. The what? The Film God Podcast.